Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels, and our guest this week, we've got Luke Scalacamp from the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources in the Fergus Falls Field Office in Ottertail County, Minnesota. Luke is an assistant supervisor in the fisheries department, and he's a hands-on guy. He's got a ton of time in the field. We've had him on before talking about panfish biology and, and uh, you know, different forage base and things like that. Uh, in this episode, we're talking about zebra mussels in Ottertail County, you know, the, the lakes area of Minnesota, full of lakes. It's a great example uh, of, for this conversation, I believe, because there's a ton of lakes. The lakes are very diverse from themselves, from each other, and there's a lot of zebra mussels present in a lot of those lakes, and they're going through all these changes. And that's what I want to talk about. We talk a little bit about zebra mussels and what they do to these bodies of water. But, you know, Luke has so much experience being out on this on these lakes that have zebra mussels, and he's doing his work. You know, they're doing the testing. They're, they're, they're observing what's going on in these lakes. But Luke's also an angler, and that is why I really like talking to guys like Luke because, you know, he talks the talk, but he walks the walk. He's out there picking up the data, understanding it, relaying the information, but he's also an angler and he knows how to just sort of package it up and tell us in a way that we're going to understand. There's just so many very interesting takeaways in this. So anyways, Luke Scalacamp, Minnesota DNR, Fisheries Department, we're talking zebra mussels in Ottertail County. Let's get to it. If you want to enjoy all the abundant fishing and hunting opportunities that Northeast South Dakota has to offer, there's no better place to stay than at Roy Lake State Park. Come shoot your limit of ducks or pheasants, then hit the lake and catch you a limit of walleyes all in a day. Roy Lake State Park provides both modern cabins and suites with all the comforts of home at a reasonable price. Go to GoOutdoorSouthDakota.com to reserve your fall hunting and fishing destination. This podcast is brought to you by Northland Fishing Tackle. Northland is a brand you can trust. Since the beginning, they've been creating innovative lure designs made of high-quality components. Most importantly, when you buy fishing tackle that says Northland on the package, you can rest assured it is designed for one thing and one thing only, and that is catching fish. To check out more of what they got, head to their website, northlandtackle.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. Luke Scalacamp, we're having you back on. Last time you were on, it was really, really fun. I got so much great feedback. We were talking, uh, you know, we, we were talking, actually it was ice season, and we were talking about forage basin, you know, basin panfish. We're going to, like, t- flip that on its head and talk about an open water, uh, open water topic with you that is, I, I feel like I'm excited to have you on where you're at, where you're located, I think is going to really hit home on this topic. And we're going to talk about, you know, zebra mussels. We're going to talk about sort of, you know, some of the effects and the, and the things that are going on, things that we're learning, um, you know, in, from your part of the world and from your experiences through your career there at the DNR office in Fergus Falls, studying these lakes, looking at these fish, uh, you know, in your area. And I'm really, really excited about this. And, and definitely, it's definitely a fishing topic. You know, we're probably not going to get super sciencey on what zebra mussels are so specifically. Because ultimately, I just, you know, knowing that they're out there, uh, you know, I, I think so many of us are just more interested in sort of the fishing information and what it means to the fishing experience and what it does to the fish. So we'll probably spend a little bit more time on that. But anyways, just laying down some groundwork there in this conversation I'm excited about. Luke in your area, Ottertail County, 
land of 10,000 lakes. Like you see a whole bunch of this on a big spectrum. What are some of the things that are happening as a result of it? Um, and, you know, probably for starters, we should talk about how long have we had them? Like, really, like, let's go back and it, it, like, how long have zebra mussels been around? Because I feel like we've talked about it so much. It's been such a topic of conversation. It feels like they've been around forever. Like, where does this whole thing start? And let's go through the whole evolution of some of the learning that we've been doing around this topic. Sure. Well, once again, thanks for thanks for having me. It's It's been a pleasure. Um, so to begin, I guess just a little background. You know, a lot of us are familiar with, with zebra mussels and we hear the term a lot and we hear the term invasive species, aquatic invasive species. But these are, you know, the small mussels that attach to the, the boat docks and lifts and a lot of the substrate that's on the on the bottom and and they are a, a widespread issue you know they they were first introduced um into Ottertail county back in 2009 into to pelican lake which in the grand scheme of things is, is not that long ago you know it's only 14 years ago so it's they they actually haven't been around in this area for that long you know it may seem like it's a long time but biologically speaking it's it's a very short period of time um, we've all heard that, you know, they can, um, they're filter feeders and they can increase water clarity, which they do, um, with that, the aquatic vegetation can increase and, um, you know, they, they can just kind of be a, a nuisance both recreationally and, and biologically, but it's, it's something that, you know, we're, we're learning a lot about and us as, as fisheries managers, we're going to continue to, to try to tackle the problem and, and learn a lot and, and provide the best fishing opportunity that, that we can. Let's talk about some of the stuff that you, in your career, like the things that you've done, what do you feel like it has been some of the learning and some of the evolution to this whole zebra muscle thing in that area? Well, you're, you're exactly right. You know, just the, the aquatic vegetation, some of these lakes that the weed lines used to end at, you know, 12, 14 feet, you know, a little bit more turbid state. Um, now, now we're seeing some coontail clumps out, you know, close to 30 feet, you know, that, that, and, and, and thick vegetation out into the mid twenties. And that just provides, you know, a lot of places for, for these fish to be. Uh, with that, another thing that zebra mussels, um, University of, of Minnesota and DNR Research is, they've been studying this and they have some pretty, pretty neat conclusions, but, um, something that they mentioned in their study too was that they do um, reduce the primary production of pelagic, the open water energy sources in primary primary production, and they kind of shunt that into the shallower water, more benthic, you know, bottom um, bottom of the of the lake um, primary production. So the, the actual energy shift is shifting from open water to shallower, you know, lake bottom. Um, areas so that that ultimately becomes more conducive for your your centricid your sunfish you know bluegills bass crappie species so we we are seeing um in some of our lakes that have historically been you know all perch walleye fisheries that you know they're 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 definitely shifting toward more towards higher abundances of of your panfish um sunfish species so that that's a big shift um lakes like Ottertail Lake that historically you you would have never heard of people targeting largemouth bass or crappies or bluegills out there and now they're hosting largemouth bass tournaments and people are actually targeting some of these you know other panfish species so we, we are seeing a shift when it comes to that 
Um, by no means are zebra mussels the, the only reason why these lakes are changing. Um, lakeshore development is a huge part of it. Sedimentation, nutrient runoff, uh, just these lakes are are becoming more eutrophic, uh, more nutrient rich in a very, very short period of time. So like I said, no, by no means is it only zebra mussels, but they, I would say they are absolutely a contributing factor for, for these lakes changing. Um, another, another thing that we, we see, um, around this area is a lot of these, you know, Otter Tail Lake, Pine Lakes, Lida Lake, uh, South Timber Lakes, Rush Lake, they've been, historically, they've been very, very good natural reproduction. Walleye Lakes, you know, they had great spawning habitat, they had great rock rubble, they had good nursery areas for the young deer walleyes, all expansive sand flats, and a lot of these, these areas, the sand flats and the spawning habitat is, is either covered in Kara algae, which is, it looks like those flat vegetative mats on the sand flats. You can pick it up and it's kind of coarse and it, it smells kind of skunky, but those are taking over some of the sand flats, you know, and that's a result of the in- increased nutrients up in the shallows. And then some of that walleye spawning habitat is all getting covered in green slime and obviously the, the zebra mussels themselves and then um, aquatic vegetation is kind of filling in around it and that dies off and it you know it covers it in, in the springtime when these walleyes want to go up into the shallows and spawn and it, all their natural spawning habitat is is covered with you know dead organic material or or zebra mussels so we're you know it, we're definitely seeing seeing the impacts um, around this area but something that, that I do want to stress you know a lot of this stuff is is strictly observational you know, like I mentioned earlier, zebra mussels have, they've only been in Ottertail County for 14 years. And that may seem like a long time, but in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's really not. You know, a lot of these things are, we're just kind of creating theories and hypotheses here at this office and, and still trying to figure them out. But um, yeah, like I said, there, you know, this is stuff that we're, we're seeing it in our, in our data, but it, but it is, you know, observational. We're out on the water just about every day and, and we do notice these changes. So you know, everybody kind of hears the, the the term aquatic invasive species and it's like, oh, you know, wow, it's, this is bad. This is really, really bad, which, which it is, you know, we're, we're concerned about it and everything, but, you know, it's kind of our idea here at this office that, that lakes are, are very resilient. You know, they, they go through changes all the time. And, and I, I, we feel that, you know, that right after the, the initial infestation of, of zebra mussels, you know, they're, You've always heard that the population peaks and then it reaches their carrying capacity and it kind of plateaus out. And it seems like, you know, lakes that we survey right after the infestation, the the three, four years after, we do have lower catch rates, talking about walleyes. Um, but it, it seems like over time, you know, they, they kind of balance out and they may never be what they what they were, but you know, I, I don't think it's something that it's going to crash the fishery type deal. You know, the lakes, they'll, they'll recover or as best they can, they'll recover. And, you know, we're still going to have angling opportunities out there. It's just, we're going to have to change the way we do things, both as anglers and, and fisheries managers. We just need to take advantage of the opportunity that, that provides itself. Um, with that said, you know, we're, we're still going to be focused on providing walleye opportunities you know, around this area. And we always will have walleye opportunities, you know, lake, like going back to Pelican. Um, I I'm very biased to Pelican. I personally believe that it's, you know, it's one of the, the better overall fisheries that, that we have in the state of Minnesota, but, um, you know, the, 
it seemed like right after walleyes came, or uh, sorry, zebra mussels were introduced there or infested the water that, um, you know, we kept on saying, or everybody kept on saying, fish deeper, deeper, water clarity increases, there's going to be vegetation deeper, deeper, deeper. Whereas now you hear a lot of people are, are doing exceptionally well fishing in the weeds, you know, they're throwing slip bobbers or, or whatever, just right smack dab in the vegetation. And that just goes to the point that you brought up earlier, you know, we need to adapt and adjust and there's still fish out there, you know, phenomenal fishing out there. We're just going to have to make some adjustments, but with, with the panfish, um, you know, brings up the point like North Lida, you know, that's always, always been a phenomenal walleye fishery. And then post zebra mussels, it's, it's like, where did they go? You know, did the population truly crash? Are we not sampling them effectively because of you know, a whole bunch of different variables or, or what's going on? But one thing I can tell you is, is the panfish fishing is phenomenal, phenomenal out there. So, you know, it, there's an opportunity, maybe shift your focus to, to catching bluegills and crappies and bass. Um, you know, we're still going to manage the heck out of it for walleyes and try to reestablish, you know, that population to, you know, to a fraction of what it was before. And I think we will get there just based on what I indicated before of the resiliency of, of the lakes. But right now, you know, if you want an opportunity to catch panfish, that's, that's a perfect opportunity. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's such a good point. But talking about that energy shift, that's interesting. Like what, what can you tell me or even suspect about how that happens with the zebra mussels where, you know, say you got a deeper lake, you know, talking about the pelagic energy source where you might have, um, you know, what, you know, minnow types or, or, uh, you know, we've talked about, you know, Cisco's Ottertail County's got all kinds of lakes that have, you know, those tulipy populations or whatever that is, um, you know, that's probably where you're going to find some of your biggest walleyes and biggest predator fish on some of those lakes, just because of that food source, like, like, how do you explain that a little bit further and how that is happening with uh, with an energy shift from that pelagic energy source towards the more shoreline oriented? Sure. Um, so, you know, as indicated before, zebra mussels, they, they feed on plankton um, and, and plankton are, you know, free floating around the lake and in the pelagic areas. So once those, those zebra mussels kind of filter out a lot of this plankton, um, they're establishing their their own biomass and, and community structure in the shallower waters, just because they're, you know, a lot of this this uh, nutrient and energy is kind of getting sucked out of the open water into the the uh, shallower benthic areas. So they're increasing the biomass, they're increasing the vegetation, they're increasing the structure up into the shallower waters. Uh, they're they're also um, excreting, and you know their feces and, and excretion is creating more nu- nutrients in the shallow. So basically, it's just kind of shunting the the nutrient and energy from the open water and, and creating increased biomass, increased um, community structure um, I- into the shallower water, and, and with that, it's you know allowing for a lot of these more centrarchid species that you know that thrive in that environment to increase their abundance, increase their biomass. So shifting, you know, shifting the the energy and the, the zooplankton or the plankton, whatever phytoplankton, zooplankton into, into the shallower waters and, uh, you know, changing the community structure, increasing biomass of some of those, those shallower water species and, and aquatic vegetation and zebra mussels themselves, you know, just, just kind of a, an overall shunt from, 
deeper uh, deeper open water into into the the increased like i said biomass community structure structure into the shallows so it's just yeah just an energy shunt i guess if if you yeah. will no i love that that's a great explanation it makes total sense and i like painting that picture because i think that's kind of a big deal do we you know is, is there any evidence whatsoever do you have any opinions on whether we should be curious or even worried about whether or not you know some of those some of these lakes with the tulipy populations with the shiner minnows like any of these pelagic you know uh bait fish species that uh you know that there could be a crash there or that they, it could it may have a massive effect on any of that i i think so i think there is you know some concern um it's not the the reduction in prey and forage i don't think is the only variable you know obviously the warming of the waters and everything is, is a huge factor when it comes to oh yeah you know, the cold water that species like cisco too but um with that said if it, you know a lot of these lakes deeper lakes that that do have the potential for trophy walleyes trophy pike large muskies you know they're out roaming the the open waters chasing or just following you know the schools of cisco um, if the Cisco pop abundances decrease, you know, is that going to shift the behavior of those top predators? Is, is it going to reduce the abundance of the top predators? You know, it, that's definitely a possibility. So I do think there, there is some current concern there. Um, with that said, you know, I, is it, the other thing is, are these fish just going to change their behavior? You know, the ones that are out there chasing ciscos are, are they just going to go into the shallows and find other available forage? You know, it's definitely a possibility. So yeah. there's a lot of uncertainty, you know, and a lot of theories that we have out there, but I guess time will tell, but, um, you know, we are, we are concerned. Um, but I, like I mentioned before, I do feel like we're still going to be able to, you know, to have fantastic fisheries. Oh, yeah. We're just going to have to, we're just going to have to adapt, whether it's chasing bluegills and crappies and bass or changing our tactics, tactics when it comes to, you know, going after walleyes and, and muskies and pike. It's time will tell, I guess. And, and anglers have already started to figure it out, you know, just talking with them around the area. It's, they're not, a lot of people aren't fishing the same spots they did 20 years ago, but they're still catching a lot of fish. Yeah. Like these fish are smart, man. Exactly. Exactly. You know, going back to the example of, of the real large predator fish, you know, following, following tulipies, you know, obviously not all, every single large walleye or muskie or pike or whatever predator species is out chasing tulipies. You know, they've figured out that they can be very energetically um, advantageous by, by foraging on some other kind of fish, you know, whether it's perch or, or bluegills or, or other you know, cannibalism or, or whatever. So yeah, if you know, the they, perch are booming, they, they're there. Yeah, they'll they'll figure it out. Um, it's just going to be, you know, maybe maybe we're not going to see a, a fifty five inch muskie in in these lakes because it doesn't have the Cisco. But you know, you're still going to catch a fifty two incher. No, I, I'm just right. throwing out a, a, yeah yeah an example, but. Um, This podcast is brought to you by Northland Fishing Tackle. Northland is a brand you can trust. Since the beginning, they've been creating innovative lure designs made of high-quality components. Most importantly, when you buy Fishing Tackle that says Northland on the package, you can rest assured it is designed for one thing and one thing only, and that is catching 
fish. To check out more of what they got, head to their website, northlandtackle.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. If you want to enjoy all the abundant fishing and hunting opportunities that Northeast South Dakota has to offer, there's no better place to stay than at Roy Lakes State Park. Come shoot your limit of ducks or pheasants, then hit the lake and catch you a limit of walleyes all in a day. Roy Lake State Park provides both modern cabins and suites with all the comforts of home at a reasonable price. Go to GoOutdoorSouthDakota.com to reserve your fall hunting and fishing destination. Yeah, yeah, and that's all blue sky, right? Like, we don't even know that that's the thing. We don't even know if that's what we're worried about. It, ex- exactly. It, it might be a deal where you still catch a 55-incher, but it's not suspended over deep water, you know, in late August or whatever. It's um, it's in nine feet of water in the back of a bay, you know, the right, same time exactly. frame. You know what I mean? Like, yep. it's like we yep. just got to be more adventurous, and that's actually a fun thing in fishing is the learning and figuring that stuff out. But, I mean, yeah, man, like – I just think that 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 is such a, such such a good things to point out that so far we're just talking here, just talking about how got to realize in so many of these prominent lakes that are going through this stuff right now, we're still so early in these changes that we don't even know what the overall lasting effects are. It's all comorbidity all the way across the board. None of these things that are happening to these bodies of water are just the zebra mussels. Every single lake Absolutely. is going through changes regardless this is just another one of them and it's a big one and it's one that we have a little bit of um i don't even know what the right word is but we've got a little bit of uh, our hands on it you know there's blood on our hands if we're not paying attention and to our boats and stuff and we're spreading it um and we have a little bit of control over you know protocols to you know clean drain dry figure out the, the process so that we're not spreading this stuff around quite so much, I think is, you know, just the, the things to be thinking about, but, um, but yeah, and, and it changes the ecosystem. It, it definitely moves, you know, the energy. That's such a good way to put it and paints a picture so well that, um, and I've had other conversations too, where, you know, there's a lot of lakes where shoreline, you know, or, you know, that, that shoreline, that warm water, um, you know, forage base, you know, we're talking about perch and bluegills and white bass and crappies and whatever lake you're on, whatever that is, you, you'd know what that is. You know, whatever sits under the shade of the dock all summer long, you know, the minnows and all that stuff that live in there, like, you know, there's going to be situations where there's a big boom for that, right? Like, well, that definitely is going to create opportunities for bass. If you're, if the, the average size structure of bass has been, you know, two pounders that are few and far between, you might be you know, on the horizon of, you know, uh, skipping docks and catching five pounders on every other dock, uh, in a situation like that, maybe 10 years from now, that could definitely be the thing. So there's a lot of just, there's just as much conversation that can be optimistic, uh, it, around this type of conversation as it is. Um, and I like the way you put it too, with the fisheries department where you guys are objective you, you, you go out and it, it's just another change. It's just another thing that you're creating, you know, that it, it, you're looking at data. It's just another thing that's out there. You've seen, you know, you, you know, you understand that these lakes are going through changes all the time, regardless, you know, you guys are probably the most steady in all of this. You know, the anglers, we're the ones that are panicking. We're the ones that are running around in circles because we had, you know, we've had good fishing forever and now we've had two bad days in a row and we just want to blame it on something. <laughs> You know, but, uh, yeah, and, and we're the, you know, we, we're the same way too. You know, we're, you got to find some way to complain when, when the fishing's not going well. And 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, you just uh, gotta, yeah, there's always there's got to be a scapegoat. But but for you, like, have, have, have you is there any stories, anything in your data, anything because you're an angler. That's why I like talking to you, Luke, is because you're really, really passionate about your work. But you grew up, you're born and raised an angler like like that's where your passion for the fisheries is really rooted in. And so for you, like any fishing stories, like looking at it through the lens of more uh, the, the fisherman that's inside of you versus, uh, you know, the scientist, like like what are you seeing in some of these scenarios like, you know, with the data, whether it's growth rates, what, some of the bigger changes, like like what are you seeing uh, when you're out fishing? Yeah, no, that's, that's a very good question. Um, so I, I do, I would say a, a lot more ice fishing than I, than I do open water. And I, um, you know, early in the ice season, I like to chase walleyes and, and I have, you know, my go-to spots and everything. And a lot of these places that I had a lot of the, very good success, um, chasing early season walleye was some of the, some of the sand flats on these good, you know, naturally, naturally reproducing walleye lakes or lakes that, that um, our stocking efforts were very successful. And it just seems like, like it, all of the sand flats and, in, in, you know, rock and gravel and everything is just covered in, in that care that I mentioned earlier. And it certainly changed the, the behavior and location that the walleyes are. Um, it seems like if you can, if you can almost find some clear area mixed within the Kara or, you know, some kind of sand flat and, um, you know, clean area of the lake, they almost kind of relate to that. That's just, just what I've noticed chasing early season walleyes. Um, so it, it makes it difficult. It makes it difficult. We have to adjust where we go. You know, it, I, I can't I can't go to all my my good spots. The other thing is, as we indicated before, um, the vegetation chasing panfish and everything is it's not in the same spots that it was, and a lot of times it's not even the same kind of vegetation. You know, it's completely changed and, and moved, and, and it does on an annual basis. But I'm talking about a you know a big shift in in where and in what species of of vegetation. So, just goes back to to being able to to adjust, and and I think all of us that really are passionate about about angling and and we like to do it, it we will figure it out but um th- those are two real big um noticeable changes in ice season i also like to to chase muskies in the um in open water and the biggest thing there for me is is once again the vegetation it is not in the same spots that it was before you know the white stem pondweed around here is it is not in the same spot some you know some is is sparsely you know scattered around around similar areas but I, that's the biggest thing that i've noticed when i'm when i'm going after muskies is just the the change in veg, vegetation from the depth or the species so just constantly trying to figure out you know where these fish are moving um you know where is it is it their behavior change is it uh, a difference in abundance you know there's a lot of factors that it could it be but those are just some examples that personally i've noticed when i've been been out on the water um, yeah yeah, man, I think that all that stuff matters. I think there's a lot of a lot of anglers that are figuring that stuff out, and they're the leaders. I think, you know, I pay attention to some of those local or regional tournament circuits that uh, are happening over there, you know, in uh, in the Lakes area, Minnesota, and you are so spot on with that, you know, that Pelican Lake hosts a walleye tournament. Like, like you said, that in Ottertail County, that lake has had zebra mussels. That was the first one to be identified you know, it's going on 14 years. 
the weights in that tournament are bigger. It's a measure tournament, I believe, but it, the weights in that tournament are bigger than they have been ever historically. And I believe in the last like three or four years, that tournament has been won in the middle of summer or like early summer and mm-hmm. is has been won in like less than 12 feet of water. Right. Yep. And, and <laughs> it's yeah, crazy. But I mean, yep. that that that's crazy. It's like we're we're realizing that these walleyes can be in so many places. They swim all the time. They're going to know. They're like wolves. They're going to know where the food is and they're going to they're going to know where all the food is. And then they're going to if there's a, if there's available forage, they're they're not just gonna sit out there and starve. You know, they're they're gonna figure it out and they're gonna eat. Exactly. That's the point. Like that's that's like like that. Yeah, like that. That'll be like the title of this podcast. Like, walleyes aren't gonna just sit out and starve. They're gonna find food and eat. And <laughs> it it it's literally that simple. You know, big fish are like that. I think in some some scenarios, it's been described that walleyes. You know, if they do get spoiled, if they do get, you know, if there is, you know, a stable living environment, like on a reservoir or something like that, where the forage base is, you know, everything is stable. These fish can go for five, six, seven, eight years and not go through any sort of, you know, major, you know, major change of any kind, you know, whether it's water depth or, you know, weather patterns or, you know, they, they don't go through a zebra mussel infestation or whatever, you know, it, it, it's been said in situations like that when something big does happen, like, a you know, uh, when there is a crash in the forage, you know, based maybe with low water or something like that, go through a drought, that those bigger fish just don't make that adjustment. I don't know if that's true. I think that the bigger fish, they, they have bigger tails. They can swim faster and farther. I think that they do make the adjustment. We just don't as anglers. I, I would agree with that too. Um, you know, it, it, it goes back to what I was said. Lakes are resilient. Fish populations are, are resilient too. Yeah. There are some, you know, catastrophic changes that occur that, that really, you know, are detrimental to fish populations. But, <clears throat> but when it comes to this, you know, they, they absolutely will figure it out. I mean, yeah. even, even lakes like, the, like Lida, yes, we have, um, you know, our walleye catch rate is, is decreased significantly and we're trying to identify where the bottleneck is, you know, is it, is it the spawning habitat? Is it, um, after they hatch and, and the fry don't have that available resource? Is it, um, once they get to the certain, you know, fingerling size and they just, they can't find enough forage there, you know, we're still trying to, trying to figure out on a lake like that, but there's other lakes that, you know, they're, they're doing just as well, if not, I'm not going to say better, but just as well as, as they were pre zebra mussels. So I, I do think that they, they really do figure it out with that said, you know, we're, we're trying to be positive when it comes to the overall fishery and, 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 um, you know, how, how the angling experience is going to be moving forward after a lot of these lakes have zebra mussels. Um, University of Minnesota did do a, uh, a study that I, that I mentioned before with collaboration, with DNR research and, and they did find that um, young of the year walleyes, they during the midsummer they were they were smaller um, in zebra mussel infested waters than than non, and they did grow uh, more slowly throughout the growing season. So moving into winter, you know, that could negatively impact their their survival, having you know higher mortality, in, increased risk of predation, not having the energy reserves 
throughout the winter. So, you know, there, there are some things to be concerned about. Absolutely. But, but, you know, let's try to remain positive and, and take, take advantage of the opportunities we have and, and just continue to try to figure out where these fish are. Yeah. Yeah, totally. When it comes to stocking, right. And you know what a little walleye fry needs to mm-hmm. live like does where you stock them in the lake like a lake like a location is that like a big consideration for the dnr do you just put them in at the public ramp yeah no that that's a uh, definitely a consideration um sometimes we do put them in at the ramp if if the environment is conducive sometimes we boat them out to um you know like on otter tail there's you know half a mile or a mile of of flats until you get to a drop-off so we will boat them out until you get to a little bit deeper water so you know, if you stock them right at the access, then they might fall fall to a predation to, you know, shiners and minnows and small fish and everything. Yeah. And if, if there's, you know, a lot of aquatic vegetation um, habitat that's conducive for panfish, then we won't stock them, you know, in the weeds because the panfish are just going to pluck them off too. So we do, we do bring them out on, on a lot of lakes, um, you know, and kind of, kind of th- uh, release them where, they would maybe naturally hatch or in that general vicinity. Yeah. So, so it is, you know, we definitely have to be mindful of, of where and in what risk there is for predation and, and also the, the wind direction and how hard, hard the wind is blown. If it's, you know, a spot that we want to stock and it's blown 30 miles, you know, into shore, we're not just going to throw the, the fry right there. They're just going to be blown up on the shore. So there are, there are definitely considerations that you know, we take into effect when, yeah. when we stock. Yeah, that's good to hear. I mean, you know, because again, you know, I just want to be a platform where we can tell every side of every story. And, you know, historically, the DNR, you fisheries guys, you know, if somebody has a bad day fishing, you guys are liable to get, uh, you know, pinned with it. This is such good information that needs to be sort of, you know, as we move into this, you know, into the future in all these bodies of water, like, you know, the zebra muscle conversation, um, it's not all doom and gloom, that's for sure. It's going to create as many opportunities as it is going to change. And it, it doesn't, you know, I don't think there's any proof that, you know, we should be saying that it's ruining an opportunity. We don't know that yet. We're still in the infancy stages. Things are just changing. And mm-hmm. if we can find these fish, if we can adjust and find these fish, we might find them doing something super great. They might be they might be loving life somewhere uh, that's just different than we fished them 15 years ago, and that's fine. We just got to keep putting in the work and finding them, and then eventually some of these answers will fall into place. Some of these things will, and it's so situational. Every lake is is its own beast, and you know information that comes you know, out of the Great Lakes or information that comes from other places. It, it, it's just that. It comes from somewhere else and it can be, you know, a, a, a rule of thumb. It can be, you know, sort of like a benchmark. It's what we know now, but it's not it, Not all this stuff is going to be 100% relatable to every body of water when it comes to the science. But like the conversation you and I just had, we're just, it's a big picture conversation that is very relatable to any body of water that's going through a zebra mussel infestation and it's just it revolves around adjustments and you know you just got to be able to look over the side of the boat and um, make a few evaluations and maybe think outside the box and check a few different patterns throughout today and try some new things and you might find 
a bunch of big, hungry, dumb fish doing something that nobody else is targeting. <laughs> we all hope so, right? Yeah, I do. I need those big, dumb fish. If I, I can't catch them unless they're dumb. I know that. But There you go. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right, Luke. I'll let you go, man. I'll let you back to it. I thank you so much for the time on this one. Great conversation. And uh, glad to have you on again. And uh, look forward to the next time. Okay. Thank you much. Have a good day.